when this uh, fifth candle was lit as a kid growing up in church, I could hardly contain myself because it meant tomorrow morning we get to open presents. And it was so exciting. But there's something even more exciting than opening presents for a kid. It's adults watching kids open presents, you know? What a joy it is to give. We are wired to give. Even children were created to be givers. I remember being a kid, um, well, when I was asked, what is the most memorable gift that you've ever given? Uh, And uh, honestly, I can remember two gifts, really three, but I'll, I'll tell you about two. One came in kindergarten, and the second one was in like first or second grade. And the, so my kindergarten teacher or the art teacher in kindergarten came in and said, We're, you're going to make a present for your mom and dad. Oh. And, and so what we did was we made one of those. How many made one of those? Hand prints and you painted it and then you got to wrap it. And I remember exactly where I hid it from my parents in the cupboard behind the glasses. They'll never find it there. And come Christmas morning, they opened it and I could not be so more proud or filled with joy and and excitement watching my parents open this. And then the next year, our art teacher gave us these little paper doilies um, to paint and decorate and glue. And then, and I remember we were able to make these colorful doilies, you know, like the lace paper things for whatever they were for, like mats for in the middle of the table or on the coffee table. And so, I made mine, but apparently I must have wrapped it when the paint or the glue was still wet because when my parents opened it up, they had no idea what it was. It was a big wad of tissue, hard wad of tissue that had been sitting in this box. And they said, oh, it's beautiful, Johnny. Oh, it's beautiful. What is it? They had no idea what it was. Um, And I'm told later on, I'm the youngest in the family, and so I was told later on that my siblings were cracking up and, and they tried to contain the laughter but regardless I was proud and I was excited to give that wad of undiscernible tissue to my parents well God created us to be givers not takers last week in church we looked at how King Herod was a taker he wanted to gain power and wealth and all this you know Uh, but on the other hand the magi they were givers and we'll be focusing on the wise men or the magi King Herod said, how can I get the most out of this life for myself? But Jesus would grow up as the giver of givers, and he would demonstrate what it looks like to be a creation of God or the Son of God, who is sinless with an unbroken relationship with God the Father. He said, this is what it looks like. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many he gave. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come to give you a full life. And then God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So God is a giver, and Jesus reflected that. But the magi, the wise men, also reflected the heart of God by how much they gave in that they had to travel a thousand miles from the Middle East, or from the East, Uh, to Jerusalem to worship this newborn king. Uh, And why would these magi travel so far to see a young Jewish boy? Well, a little bit about the magi. 
Um, they hailed from a place called Parthia in, the, in those days, Persia, or today is called Iran. And they were being trained there as uh, leaders in the land. They were respected. They were astronomers and astrologists. They studied the stars, and, and they did some magic even. And um, they had this Zoroastrianism religion type of thing. And, and they were focused on the natural sciences. But they studied the stars, which reminds me of a joke that I heard. A little boy went to Dad and said, Hey, Dad, can you tell me about what a solar eclipse is? Dad responded, No, son. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, son. You get it? S-U-N. Many believe that the Magi served alongside the prophet Daniel. Not these Magi, but their, their ancestors, the Magi. They served alongside the prophet Daniel some 600 years before the Magi and the Christmas story. They, um, King Nebuchadnezzar was reigning in Babylon and, and Babylon attacked Jerusalem and the Jews and they carried off all of the Jews or most of the Jews back to Babylon, some 500 miles uh, that way of Jerusalem. And, uh, but eventually God would raise up this Daniel who was a Jew, carried off in uh, the Babylon, Babylonian captivity or the exile. Uh, and God would raise him up and his favor would rest upon Daniel even though he was a Jewish lover of God in a Babylonian Gentile territory, land, God would raise him to be second in command in Babylon. And so Daniel uh, would oversee the Magi in his day, 600 BC. And in so doing, he would have influence upon them um, with the Jewish scriptures. And he would meet with them allegedly and teach them of God's word from the Old Testament scriptures there. Meanwhile, 600 years go by, and in Parthia, uh, close to Babylon, a dictator ruled by the name of King Phraates IV. And his name was King Phraates because everyone was afraid of him. They were afraid because he reigned and would usher in a period of great evil and darkness and fear in the land. And everyone felt tense in the area because of his evil dictatorship. He made King Herod in Rome look like Mr. Rogers by comparison. Well, these magi at Jesus' birth would have known Daniel's prophecies as they were passed down to them, which would have been filled. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, these are the magi up here, right? And they're studying God's word. Um, they would have known like Daniel chapter 9. No one understand this, the prophet Daniel wrote. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes and there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So that makes 49 seven-year periods. So in other words, from 445 B.C., when they would have heard that the prophecy would be that Jerusalem, I know it's destroyed, but it's going to be restored again. And King Artaxerxes would have made that pronouncement in like 445 B.C. So 69, seven years later would have been the time of the anointed one or Jesus, the birth of Jesus. So these magi, according to this prophecy, would be looking for the fulfillment of this. But it was also confirmed by another prophecy, another word from the book of Numbers. 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, or Israel. A scepter will rise, raise out of Israel. So they're looking for a star, these astronomists, these magi. And then we read in Matthew 2 in the New Testament, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These magi would not have had much information other than the ancient prophecies, and yet what they knew they acted upon in faith. Perhaps that's why they're called wise men, because they were wise. The difference between knowledge and wise men is knowledge is in our head, wisdom is through our actions. Wisdom is the knowledge carried out in application. They were wise. And we read in verse 11, Matthew 2, they eventually made it to Bethlehem, which was a few miles away from Jerusalem, in fulfillment to another ancient prophecy that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And on coming to the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now giving like this would have been customary uh, during those times in the ancient East especially as you approach a superior. The Magi then give, gave gifts of gold, indicating that this child would have been one and a half, two years old by this time, because it took that long from the travel to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem from the east, symbolizing his royalty. Gold symbolized the royalty of a king. And so they came saying, where's this one born king of the Jews. We've read about it in prophecy. We have seen his star. 31 years later, Pontius Pilate, Jesus stood before him and eventually was crucified and posted above his head, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Gold indicated that this Jesus is a king. Another wise man offered frankincense, which symbolized Jesus' divinity as God. Frankincense would have been used by priests in temple worship, and they indicated our worship just rising up to God and the sweet sense just filling the throne room of God with our praises and our worship and our prayers. So Jesus received the Magi's offering, indicating that he was indeed God in the flesh, this young two-year-old, Emmanuel, God with us. And then another magi offered myrrh, symbolizing Jesus' humanity, identifying with us. Not only was he God in the flesh, but he was fully human. Myrrh is a sap-like substance which comes from the myrrh tree, which is common in the Middle East and Africa. And the myrrh oil has a smoky, sometimes bitter smell. In fact, um, the word in Arabic for myrrh is bitter, sort of like Mary or Mara, means bitter as well. It's from the same uh, derivative of a word. So myrrh became associated with suffering. It was an anesthetic for pain. It was to anoint the dead, um, you know, to rub on bodies of the dead rather than embalming fluid. It was a fragrance at funerals. This better smell became associated with funeral services. And Jesus was born 
to suffer and ultimately die for us as our Savior. Well, the gifts of the Magi would have served perhaps another purpose uh, given to Joseph and Mary. Little did they know they would be um, uh, commanded by the angel of God to depart and flee to Egypt because King Herod is after their son to kill him. And so it would have funded their trip and their existence in this pagan land in Egypt. Well, we give gifts at Christmas remembering God's ultimate gift to us, namely Jesus, who was born to die for us, to give us life, both now and for eternal life, but also to establish a relationship between us and God, to bridge that relationship. And so now in response, we give back to God after what he's given to us, which we did not deserve. Well, at the end of this message, um, I'm going to ask you to take out those cards. At the end, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to take out those cards now and get ready to, to put on, on your cards, what, does, what do I want to give sacrificially to Jesus? It is his birthday that we celebrate, and what can I give to him not only today and tonight, but also this coming year? Could it be our time, our service, our resources? a decision that we need to make, or our attitude. I remember my father giving me a gift of a 1969 Dodge Charger, green Charger. It looked a lot like this, but it wasn't quite as shiny. It was 10 years old at the time, and he gave it to me for my 17th birthday, and I couldn't, uh, he couldn't con- contain all the excitement that he had that he had found this car for me, and, and it was a complete surprise. I, it was undeserving. He said, here you go, son. And so he gave me the keys. I looked outside, and there was my green 69 Charger. And uh, um, why am I telling you this story? Oh, I know why. Because he was excited. We're created to give, right? But I wondered from time to time, ever since I drove this, and it rusted out in Buffalo, New York, eventually, because of all the salt and snow and ice, and I didn't really wash it like I should have. I wish I would have, because I would have love to have it today but I've often wondered what if my dad gave me the keys to this car and I started driving it a week later he says hey John could you pick up your brother after football practice today get him him right home and then a couple days later hey John would you pick up grandma and take her to the store she has to pick up a few items and maybe the next day hey John could you pick up your nephew take him to McDonald's for a quick quick bite D and then drive him home his parents need to do whatever it, what if my response to all of those questions were dad cut it out man what do you think I am a taxi service you know this is my car and, and I can do it as I please and my, ki- my friends are waiting for me at the mall or at the park and I don't have time for these people it wouldn't be right would it now if you substitute my car for my life we could say that our Heavenly Father gave us a gift he was really excited to give us. His name is Jesus. Father God, thank you for this gift of salvation, gift of eternal life. Thank you, but man, quit asking me to do these things. This is my life, God, and I have the right to do with it as I please. It's my life, but thank you for eternal life. It just wouldn't be right. We belong to Jesus. We belong to God, and he... he, He is our Lord and our King. So how will we respond to this gift that our Heavenly Father has given to us when when not deserved? 
namely his son, relationship with him, and eternal life. Will, will we be like the Magi? And will we give back in response to him with an attitude of gratitude? Or Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be expected. He also said in Mark, Matthew 10, freely you have received, therefore freely give. It's better to give than to receive. Jesus taught us and modeled for us the example of what it means to live to glorify God. The Magi understood that God's gift of his anointed son, the son of man, included them. This savior came not only for the Jews, but for the sins of the world. He he came to be the king of kings over every nation and tribe. And they understood this intuitively. And so they went and they traveled sacrificially to offer the best that they had of their gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they offered something even better. They offered themselves in their worship. In verse 11, they bowed down and worshiped him. In other words, two-year-old Jesus, we need you. We recognize who you are. Now, this word worship is proskunio in Greek, and it means to prostrate or kiss toward. The ancient Eastern mode of greeting between peers would have been a quick peck on the lips, you know? That's just how they do it. But when there was a, the rank was someone was a little bit higher rank than the other, then they would exchange kisses on each cheek. But if, if the rank was far greater and it was true, uh, truly a superior of yours, then you wouldn't do that either. You'd just bow before them and get down on your knees and you'd kiss toward them. You'd blow kisses, if, if you will. And this is the word that is used here in verse 11. They bowed down and they worshiped him because they recognized that this Jesus, this two-year-old, was their superior, was their king. Romans 12 tells us, Therefore, Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the question that I have for you this morning is what will you give to Jesus on his birthday? What will you give not only tonight but for this coming year? What would be your best gift you could give to him as yourself? Perhaps some of you haven't ever given your life over to him. I don't need a savior. I don't need a king. I'm sitting on the throne of my own life. Well, tonight you can surrender your life to him and in exchange you will receive eternal life and a personal relationship with the living God. But his hands are extended to us. His arms are extended and he's inviting us into relationship. But Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force us because that wouldn't be love. He, he extends himself to us and says, I, I long to have a relationship with you. In fact, I would die for you. In fact, I did die for you. Jesus was born to die for us, that we might have eternal life and eternal relationship with God, our creator and our father, who loves us very much. So at this time, I'd like to invite the worship team up, and, at, and as they're coming up, then take out those cards and pray seriously about what you could offer to Jesus as as your best gift to him. Listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to what he may be 
encouraging you to do because he longs for a more intimate relationship with each one of us. And so write on the card if you feel led. You don't have to. We're not forcing anyone to do anything. And then the ushers will come forward with offering baskets. And you're going to place your offering of your card in the basket. And then we'll put all of them together and lift them up before God as our offering to him. Our offering our best to him. And then again, we will keep these confidential and we'll dis- dispose of the cards. Uh, so we're not going to read your cards. This is personal. You don't even have to put your name on that. It's between you and God. So uh, do that. This is not for the offering financially. If you want to give an offering later, there are boxes uh, going outside the doors and you can make an offering to the ministries of this church. Uh, But this is just for your cards today. What will you offer as your best to Jesus? Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this night where we can celebrate your birthday. Uh, But not only were you a a cute little child and then a young boy but you grew up to be a man who loved us so much that you gave your life for us that we might have a relationship with you and God the Father and thank you Lord that your spirit is here and that you are here in spirit and as if you're standing right before us you're here communicating to us and uh, extending your arms to us and even hugging us if we even need that, um, that touch from your spirit Lord We need to know of your presence. But we offer this in exchange for all that you've given to us. Amen.